We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela, Dei Mater Alma, Ad Semper Virgo, Felix Welcome everybody, Steve with Says Fidelium. Coming at you with a guest you probably recognize, especially with the bow tie. I think it's the same one. I don't know if it's... I don't know if you have more than the red or you got a black or a green. I don't know. Anyway, Aaron Singh of Tratty Box, the catechism that you should have at your house. No question asked. All the volumes. Get them. Learn them. Love them. Know them. I, I butchered that one from uh, uh, Animal House. But anyways, Aaron, welcome back to the program. How you doing? Good, Steve. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it is the same bow tie. This is business attire. This is the uniform. <laughs> This is the uniform. I got a clip on. I just haven't tried that yet. There you go. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about because they, I didn't, unbeknownst to me until about last time Aaron and I talked, resurrected the books, Mementos and English Martyrs and Confessions for Every Day of the Year by Henry Sebastian Bowden, which if anybody has been on Census Fidelium, if you're watching, you have. Uh, last year, I did that for every day of the year because I heard somebody else who's not actually part of the church reading it, and I go, "Well, if if a Seti's going to do it, I'm going to put this off, so you're not. They're not getting the uh, the ear." So, Aaron, what made you guys find this and bring it back and actually make it better? Because I got the uh, uh, the Christ the King Library version, which is just uh, you know. Hey, look at that! Yeah, no. You guys got paintings or photos in here, which we'll see during it, but uh, uh, it's over here. But yeah, what made you guys put this together or, or want to put, republish it? Well, this is a gem. Uh, as you know, it's, uh, it's one of the few of its kind uh, in terms of a genre of treating the saints in a way that engages, you know, enough of their work, enough of their spirituality, enough of even kind of their story. Uh, but but makes it digestible. It's it's very much organized on the pattern of you know saying today uh, keeps the devil away. So so very brief. You already kind of flipped some pages, but you know one one page is a is a daily excerpt. And as as your uh, listeners know, you went through uh, the full three sixty five. Uh, some of them are patterned on their feast days. So on the on the yeah. old right uh, calendar, their kind of reflection will occur on the days in which they were honored uh, by the church. But um, but others are not. So there's there's an English martyr or confessor for every day of the year, and it's it's stellar. I mean, the, the text itself is is fantastic. But I think what it what it speaks to our own situation. You and I were talking a little bit before uh, going on the show. Is uh, it, it holds up some witnesses for us that have I think a little more to say to us now. Um, now that we're kind of living in a period in this country, but in other countries as well, where we're seeing more this kind of pattern of government ascendancies in various ways, you know, some uh, what we might call a hard persecution, others a soft persecution, uh, but ways in which Catholic men and women are facing these, these growing questions. What's the faith worth to me? Uh, if, I could, if I could put like another subtitle on uh, the great Father Bowden's 
book here, Mementos, it would be that. Like, what is it? What is it worth? What is the faith worth uh, to you? So, it's this is really a, a champion kind of text in that regard. It helps us to enter the minds, the lived situation of the English Catholics at the time, 16th century, going into the 17th century, early 17th century, uh, and really some of them paying the ultimate price, but all of them paying some price. I mean, that's really the takeaway, is that you, you couldn't be a Catholic in Elizabethan England and not be paying some kind of price for that. So it's a, it's a way that, it, that allows us to kind of enter, I think, that headspace. And it's, it's stellar. I mean, it's just, it's such an excellent text. The way that Father Bowden, oh, we should, can I talk about Father Bowden? Yeah, go for it. Uh, just by him. Okay, so, so Father Bowden, he has uh, himself, he is an excellent priest. So we, we added a preface in this edition of his work, um, talking a little bit about him. Uh, he, he was pupil of, you know, of course, John Henry Cardinal Newman. So many of us are are familiar with, uh, and Father Ron Knox. He did the like the Knox translation of the Bible, which kind of fell off of a lot of people's radar, but some are still familiar with that. But Ronald Knox was another, you know, major outstanding English Catholic figure uh, of the period. And so Bowden is is a pupil of theirs, and in turn, uh, the Oratorian, that the um, the uh, the general of the Oratory. And uh, he himself is this, this excellent priest who sees around him a, a new danger for English Catholics in his period. Uh, and this is, again, the early 1900s. And the danger that he sees in an England which now has, has achieved some level of tolerance for Catholics, right, in the public sphere, uh, he sees kind of this opposite danger that his, his forebears saw. You know, whereas his forebears lived this, this kind of danger of apostasy in the face of great persecution, uh, Bowdoin sees this, this opposite danger of, you know, excessive comfort leading Catholics to uh, forget the high price that, uh, that the faith is worth, but then also living it uh, in actuality, in their own life, living this, this work of sanctification uh, that's, that so many suffered and died, you know, to make it present to them. They've kind of been the inheritors of this, of this tremendous wealth, you know, the faith in England. Uh, but but Bowdoin sees this danger of kind of now the opposite. There's, there'll, be, there'll be too much tolerance, too much permissiveness, uh, and such that those will begin to grow lukewarm in their faith. And so this is one of those, this is why he titled it, you know, Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. is just this daily kind of dose reminding, you know, what the faith costs for so many of these men and women. Uh, in the past, and then uh, really allowing us to then reflect on that in our own period, because he has these daily uh, also scripture verses to meditate on, some of them from the propers of mass uh, for these various uh, saint feasts, but all of them kind of pertinent to the story of the saint of that day. Yeah, those, I mean, obviously the stories are you don't know if, if you're watching, you haven't listened to all that I did on the video, get it obviously because you're going to hear stories that you've never heard of these guys before. There's, I mean, there was one I can't think of was the priest's name that when they, they, they dragged them into the new, the new mass of England and they, they put, he put his fingers in his hand, in his ears, and it stopped at his feet to drown out the prayers coming in. <laughs> they ended up having to tie him up. I mean, you think of, and then they're, you know, they're killing people left and right. Like these guys up here, the Carthusians, they gutted them, hung them, draw them, quarter them, 
uh, Saint I and Lynn get up there and say, you know, I will not pray. I will not say amen to your prayers. I you will not say amen to mine before she's hung. And they didn't quarter her because she was a woman, but Mary Clitheroe, you know the names of some of the other ones, but yeah, the, and then the stories leading up to them, like uh, almost like a novena in a sense. Uh, Henry Father Bowden will put the a little clip here, a little clip here, a little clip here. Here's his martyr day. Uh, or maybe splice it throughout. You'll get St. Thomas More throughout the year. But St. Philip Neri, he loved these guys. He called them the flowers of martyrdom, didn't he? Yes, there's such a wealth of both kind of their own writings. You know, so many of them are, are themselves published authors. You know, Bowdoin draws on some of those letters. There's like Father, um, I think it's Robert Southwell, has a whole okay. series of letters uh, that he wrote to his parents, who both of whom are not Catholic, I think, at that point. Um, and, and several others, Darby is another one, I believe, uh, who, you know, wrote these heartfelt pleas with either friends or relatives to say, you know, examine your position. It's, we, we inherited the faith in, in X form, you know, and that was how we all lived it until this most recent, you know, rupture, uh, begins of course with Henry VIII, the oath of supremacy, but most Catholics didn't feel that on the ground. Uh, during Henry's period, it was it was Elizabeth that really uh, kind of the river hit the road for a lot of them. So, so these these uh, you know firsthand kind of primary source stuff is in the book, uh, but then so is as you say, uh, Father Bowden's really genius for narrating very concisely uh, but very compellingly some of the experiences that they went through it. And yeah, there are no two alike, and some are stranger than fiction. I mean the. Uh, so the great Cardinal, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, John Fisher, who's, who himself, you know, one of the only bishops to remain faithful, is the only in the original uh, Oath of Supremacy period, uh, to remain faithful to his Episcopal see um, and not sign on the Oath of Supremacy, of course, loses his head for that. And then the head is boiled uh, because they, they know, you know, these, these wily Catholics, they're just going to come and grab what any relics that they can and and you can't you can't make an example of one bishop and then risk him being hailed immediately as a martyr. So so you know they boil the head and we'll just put that up on London Bridge, you know. So it'll be this really intimidating thing. And and as the, all of the contemporary accounts say that it looked fresher as each day went by, such that some some thought that it would speak to them at any moment. You know, the, the head of this bishop it and uh, it it resisted decay and even and even reverse. You know the natural process of, of decomposition and things, such that they had to send somebody out in the middle of the night, a government agent, to go plunk the head uh, into the river. You know, so, to to get rid of the evidence and, and things. And so, it's some of these accounts, yeah, it, women as well, as you say. I mean, there's there's certainly many priests uh, in Bowden's book, but um, but there's a number of of laymen and women. I love Margaret Ward. You know, you have yeah. There's another. Yeah, we got to talk about the illustrations too. So, the, uh, James Byrne, I don't know if you guys saw that. That's his head. That's up. Not, not him. Don't look at the guy down, down here. That's him up there. <laughs> yeah, he's holding up a picture there, James Byrne, uh, the head of whom is, is addressing his father. So, this is another one of these yeah. accounts where you have families divided on confessional lines. Oftentimes, it was uh, children discovering a faith that their parents had not given to them because at some point the parents. Uh, left became uh, what what they called the sometimes the churchmen or even church papists uh, because they they kind of harbored maybe secret Catholic uh, sentiments but they weren't prepared to be public about it 
And so then these, the next generation, these children realize that they've, they have this whole heritage of faith and worship that they've been deprived of. Uh, and so they, they're kind of reclaiming it uh, laterally, you know, instead of linearly. And then in many cases, it, it divided families. These uh, uh, generational lines were drawn. Uh, it was just, just awful. There's that great um, uh, Robert Hugh Benson novel, Come Rack, Come Rope. Some, some may be uh, familiar with that, but Come Rack, Come Rope is like a fictitious retelling of, of true uh, accounts, of many true accounts that have the same general lines where uh, a child, sometimes a son, finds the faith kind of despite of a parent or parents who, uh, who left the faith, became Anglican, uh, even though they weren't called that yet at the time. Um, and in, in Robert Hugh Benson's novel, he goes on to be a priest, become ordained. He comes back into the country uh, and then, well, I shouldn't give it all away, but that's a great novel. But there are several like that that kind of tell that same story. Spoiler. That's right. Yeah, I won't give any spoilers. But yes, it's, it's fantastic. And you mentioned women. I, so Margaret Ward, I'm so glad she, she makes it in. Uh, Father Bowden pull, holds her out. She was one of the group, I think, that were canonized in... 1970, I want to say. That's another thing we did in this edition was we we put um, running notes on all of the pages regarding their current canonical status. So many of these individuals are mentioned as venerables uh, in the in Bowdoin's original text, but we uh, we add these update lines throughout about you know, just basically a footnote per page to say you know so and so was was declared, uh, was beatified on X date. You know, this one was canonized on X date so that folks know kind of where they, where they fall in the current canonical structure of sanctity. Um, but, but Margaret Ward is one, is one of my favorite accounts. I mean, so here's this, this fiery woman who's harboring priests, you know, secretly to say mass. Her home is one of these mass centers when all of the parishes are, are kind of going under the Anglican wave. And, um, and they find her out, you know, but only after she she has she's made uh, she's made friends with the jailer for one of these priests uh, who, who's already in prison. One of these priests, she makes friends with the jailer, comes to visit enough, you know, for spiritual direction and so on. And then by one of her final visits, she delivers a little package uh, to the priest, unbeknownst to the jailer, and it's a long cord with which he lets himself down out of the window, you know, in the middle of the night hoping to swing to the uh, the waiting boat, which she has arranged to rendezvous with him uh, late on the waters. But the, the original fellow who's going to bring the boat, you know, he gets cold feet at the end. And, and so she has to enlist the help of, of somebody else who then, you know, he runs the risk. He goes out with his boat and the priest swings to safety. They exchange clothes. I mean, it's just this unbelievable accounts that, uh, that these laymen and women put themselves out there to, make it make it happen you know make make the faith uh flourish for themselves their own households and most importantly they understood it as above all uh right worship right worship so you mentioned this priest who was offered his freedom many of them were offered their freedom if they would but attend the new mass uh in their time right so if, if you will simply attend the new mass this would be significantly uh, indicative of your your accession to kind of the new normal here in England, and um, and all these charges will be dropped. All this will go away. You just come to mass, just come to the new mass, and uh, and and many of them preferred death. I mean, some of them children, young people preferred death over that. And in between, you had every other reaction. Folks saying, 
uh, well, we, we can't even, I can't even set foot in that place anymore where that, that abomination is occurring. You know, they, they viewed false worship uh, with this kind of visceral knee-jerk reaction and saw the mass as the, the Catholic mass as so necessary for continuing that they put everything on the line just to have priests coming and offering masses in England. Many times they, they weren't even themselves in attendance. They were just arranging for priests to be able to offer the holy sacrifice because they saw it as that important. Yeah, and the courage of the priests, they I mean, every one of them knew when they were crossing back over that water, they went to do it, they they go to school over the mainland, come back over in England, they knew they were coming to die. And some of them were, there's one, I remember one story, it was he just got, he just got back and they killed him like three steps onto the land. And I mean, others obviously made it a couple of years, other, others made it decades. And, but they all knew that eventually their time was coming. Yes, we are here to die. There are so many that have, that's one of my favorite parts about this Bowdoin's uh, book is that many of the entries include uh, texts of either from contemporaries or sometimes final, final letters and things from prison cells, but many of them are, are the kind of the farewell addresses of uh, the different martyrs and the priests. Yes, there, there's this constant refrain in the testimonies of the priests that they had, like, what else were they signing up for? I mean, they just, they totally understood their work as one of coming to, to give their lives. Uh, and it is, is incredibly inspiring on that account. And he's, I mean, it's, it's PG. I mean, that's, I mean, I know Father Nixon did a, uh, a translation of, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the book right now, but it's on the English martyrs, uh, the whole United Kingdom area. And it is brutal. I mean, you read that, it's rated R the brutality that they gave these guys. So, yeah, you saw the photo at the head. I know you got some more. I mean, they, they had no problem gutting, tearing hearts out. I mean, that famous line of uh, tearing the heart out of one of the Carthusians going, my God, what do you need that for? <laughs> I mean, they're reaching in to pull out their entrails, feed them to, you know, dogs or whatever, while they're still breathing. Right. And, you know, crushing Margaret Clitheroe with, you know, 600 pounds of weight is just... The, the brutality they went through just because they wouldn't either say that the you know the king or say Queen Elizabeth was the successor of Peter now, or not going to the uh, their new the Cromwell mass and they that was, it was they knew what they, the people knew what they were getting into. That's right, and the constant example set before them. Uh, hardened them in that resolve. You know, it, it always, they say in every age of persecution, there are apostates and martyrs, right? There's, uh, and the, and the former always outnumber the latter. You know, they're, they're, when, when push comes to shove, uh, we, we tend to comply. Human nature wants to comply. We desire comfort. Um, that's, that's not unnatural. That's, that's perfectly natural. That's why the, the work of grace in individual souls that leads to the grace of martyrdom is, it can only be understood as supernatural, right? It, it, it don't come natural to man to, to offer his life um, for another period, hence the words of our Lord, um, that, uh, that I, I've called you friends and that greater love no man hath than one who lay down his life for a friend. But when you add to that this dimension of their, their motive, the motive is supernatural. They, they desire to see God's glory. You know, they, they desire to, 
uh, confess that Christ is Lord. They desire to profess the supremacy of the successor of St. Peter uh, as head of the church. They, they have these convictions. They're, they're not born out of, you know, some, uh, like, like people often get this, this concept of any of the saints, right, as being born with halos. We always hear that. Oh, they're just, they're just born with halos. There's something unusual about them from day one. And there are many saints that absolutely, <laughs> absolutely are that way, right? Uh, but Father Bowden, one of his points, I think, with this book uh, was to kind of hold out for us uh, this reminder that these, many of these, uh, these men and women who go to the, the stocks, who go to the scaffold, uh, but all of whom suffer, you know, in some ways, they're confessors, it, financial hardship, right? The need to relocate, to, to move their family often off, off of uh, ancestral territories, ancestral homes, which, of course, we don't really have much concept of that in the U.S. But, uh, but that's a huge sacrifice to have to leave, you know, ancestral territories. I mean, we, we can't really conceive of that in these United States. But, um, but all of these ways, these men and women paid uh, they paid dearly, and uh, but they didn't. They didn't come from some kind of, you know, holy card picture. Uh, th these were living flesh and blood. That was part of why we went with uh, these illustrations. Um, the 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 images that we pulled were from another great uh, English hero and friend of yours, uh, Challoner, Bishop Richard Challoner. Uh, his Several of his catechisms, of course, are featured, and we talked about those, right, in Tradivox, uh, Volume I was going to give yourself uh, a little love right there. Yeah, if you haven't listened to those podcasts, do that. <laughs> the, great, uh, the great Bishop Challoner. He, his, his work, um, the Memoirs of Missionary Priests, is, is kind of the, certainly the first major primary source material for a lot of these contemporary accounts. He himself is a, contem a late contemporary uh, of some of those priests, and religious who suffered. And he's the first to really undertake a, a multi-volume, you know, a compendious uh, assembly of uh, these testimonies regarding, you know, the various um, uh, martyrs and confessors in England. And so, so his, his book, Memoirs, or his multi-volume series, Memoirs, Missionary Priests, that's kind of the gold standard for early primary texts on the English martyrs. Now, his work is, was bound in Scotland, there was this this uh, uh, Scottish publisher. I don't I don't even know how many they even made, but it was a short run. They did a single volume edition, which is this massive tome of a book. Uh, but I don't have handy. It's in one of my vacuum sealed uh, chambers or something. Uh, but it's um, but it had full page uh, copper plate engravings, and these were these were done by McFarlane and Erskine. They're they're um, you know, famous uh, engravers of the period, so late late eighteen hundreds. And, uh, and they are a little graphic. I mean, as you point out, some of them, you know, so Edmund Campion is, is awesome. Here's, here's Edmund Campion. They just have this image of him uh, riding in through, they parade him through the streets of London uh, with, with the hat on. You know, the, here's, behold, Edmund Campion, the seditious papist, you know. Yes. So they'd always go for these kind of public humiliations. Um, but these engravings are incredibly detailed, and uh, for that reason, yes, some of them are are not PG. Uh, buyer, buyer, uh, beware! <laughs> uh, but that was why we we decided to use these. Is that, as you say, um, it's it's easy to lose sight of the fact that these were grisly, uh, just just brutal, awful ways to to die. 
um, they were the they were the cruelest means that the English could devise, right? Because the aim was not simply uh, to to execute, right? The, the aim was to make the person suffer, uh, if possible, make them apostize on on the block, on the scaffold, um, to be a, a source of demoralization. Right? <laughs> the whole the whole point was why have these publicly? You know, th these were these were major public spectacles in the time have someone undergo a public execution in these, these awful, really rending, horrific ways. Uh, and the goal was to demoralize the resistance, right? You, you want people to go home thinking, wow, that is a terrible way to go. And I don't want that to happen to me mm -hmm. or my loved ones. Uh, when in point of fact, time and again, it had, it had the opposite effect for the English Catholics. Um, in fact, I, I think of that movie Braveheart, right? With Mel Gibson's Braveheart, where he, he meets his end at the end of the film. That's that's Elizabethan execution, drawing and quartering, uh, being stretched on the rack, you know, prior. Uh, and the goal is, you know, to totally demoralize the resistance. And you have the opposite effect. It has this unifying effect. And so that's really the story of so many of these uh, men and women. Of course, the martyrs are are inspiring enough in their own right, um, however they die. Uh, but the pages of this book include many who who don't, many who don't uh, who don't die at all. They merely uh, suffer, you know, various forms of of deprivation and want uh, and humiliation. Many of them are are only social. You know, there's there's a lot of financial penalties, but there are always social penalties. What 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 institutions you now have access to and don't have access to, what uh, what uh, regard you're able to receive in the street, you know, and and what you're not. You're 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 um you're a second class citizen at best, you know, as a, as an English Catholic in these periods and after the fact, you know, so the, all of those ways are are ways that we're we're put kind of face to face with these accounts, but the illustrations do that uh, so immediately. We we felt that these just had to be recovered before they're lost. These scans don't exist out there, you know, anywhere. Um, we we just were fortunate enough to have an original from the mid eighteen hundreds of that printing. And so we, we carefully, you know, remastered them, uh, digitally. And then this is, this is the first time they've appeared in print to my knowledge since mid I think, I think people were like May 20th, May 20th. Let me pull that one up. <clears throat> uh, yes. Most of the people in this crowd, I think would like May 20th or get a kick out of it at least. Yeah. Based on 69. Right. <laughs> you got Robert Johnson. Yes. <laughs> Thou art a traitor, most obstinate. See, here you have the, see we can hold that one up. So a lot of these, again, here, here he is right at the scaffold. Uh, he has it hanging in the background, the noose, you know, waiting for him. And yet there you have uh, civil servant representatives and, um, and ministers as well were often present, hoping to have these kind of disputations right, right there, right in front of the gallows, because this is part of the public spectacle. Right, that they want to create is let's let's watch this Catholic uh, give up his his pretensions to having the one true faith uh, right here and, and do it publicly. Um, and many one of their lines immediately after you know torture or, or things, and then they try to drag him out. Yeah, because one of his lines is almost like I don't know, probably once a month, at least once a month, you hear it is the same uh, response. Because if I be a traitor, then all our kings and queens and all our ancestors were traitors. For may, they maintain the same. This is the, the write-up here for May 20th. 
at the, uh, the <laughs> hereupon the rope was put about his neck and he was willed to pray, which he did in Latin. They willed him to pray in English that they may witness with them. And he said, I pray that prayer which Christ taught in a tongue I well understand. A minister cried out, pray as Christ taught, to whom Mr. Johnson replied, what? Do you think Christ taught in English? <laughs> yeah, the, the, even the capacity to be to be joking, you know, and, and singing songs and these things while 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 the while the rope is being put about the neck, and this happens several times. It's it's one of the kind of remarkable things about Catholic martyrs is that rather than these kind of parting words of of spite and animus. Uh, you have parting words of great charity, and it's, and in many cases levity. It's the, it's just the strangest thing. You have uh, these these men again and women, and and many of them. I mean, I can't stress this enough. But but children. I mean, late teens, sometimes younger, <clears throat> who are up there, and they it's it's perfectly clear to them what they signed up for. You know, um, the priests, of course, especially what that they're that they're here for that reason. Um, I, I'm, I'm very moved personally by James Fenn, yeah. another priest, uh, and he's, he's himself a, a widower, so he has, he has a family, he has children, um, his wife passes away, he's a late vocation, right, so he, so he goes, he's ordained, uh, and then he picks, you know, the worst time in history to be a late vocation, some yes. might say, because, because now you have this change of religion in his beloved home country, uh, it's, it's so moving, so he, so there's a, there's an engraving of his Kind of final farewell to his daughter uh as they're preparing to bring him off on the on the hurdle you know you get you get dragged to the place of execution often and uh and his his daughter you know runs up to receive his his blessing you know his final blessing uh as a priest and a father i mean it's just it's so moving um and in many cases it's those things that are incentives to conversion for people watching i mean uh, and and many of them in turn, go and become priests. You know, famously Campion, uh, whose whose blood is is spurted on people in the front row. I mean, not to get too graphic, but at his execution, right? And it's a and it's like a kind of sacramental. I mean, that many uh, souls come to faith simply by by being present, by being uh, within arm's reach of that kind of miracle of grace uh, that's occurring in front of them. It's it's a uh, yes, it's powerful stuff. Here's another layman, uh, George Solowell. Yes, being held up to the crowd and uh, layman guys, layman. This is not just priests. That's right, and in in many cases, the lay uh, the lay Catholics in England have, uh, I think, I think they have perhaps the most instructive lesson, at least of course for lay readers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that's that they they don't they they aren't able to rely uh, on their priests many many times you, they they are frequently building this kind of infrastructure to house priests you know they're in communication with each other they say look what you know so and so's house will be kind of the go to for this region uh, we'll have mass there x and x time as long as we can get a priest um, and so they they are the ones that are doing the work of kind of establishing these underground railroad situations that priests can utilize when they're there, uh, but in many cases they're just not there. There there either aren't any priests to come, or they they miss the one memo and then they don't know where to go. And you have sometimes where priests will be coming from overseas in England in this period, and they hope that that somebody's going to be there basically to 
So, because they're going to show up in disguise, you right. know, and you have kind of prearranged code for, are you in fact a priest? Because sometimes men would show up and, and the Catholics there weren't sure, you know, are you the priest or is your, is your baggage clerk over here carrying the bag? Is he the priest, you know? And so they'd have to find ways to kind of communicate, you know, about these things. Um, and in some cases they'd be intercepted, you know, they, they'd find out the uh, civil authorities would find out about these these various ways that they were coming into the country and so they would they would pose you know as the catholics and then receive you know, some new uh detachment from the the, the latest ship uh landing and then you know, oh i see you're a priest oh yes come with me and then the, there's there's a, a a jailhouse waiting for them on the other side so is incredibly difficult, you know, dicey times. But one of the things that I think Bowdoin's book does so, so well is daily we see the importance of lay people uh -huh. uh, in terms of being able to, you know, house and provide for their priests and their creativity. Gosh darn, you don't have laymen and women sitting back on their hands. I guess this is just how it's going down now, you know. <laughs> it's like, I, I guess we just all have to, we just all have to be Anglicans now. Um, that's just how the times are. Woe is us, but but oh well. You have incredible degree of creativity uh, from from men and women who just just won't take no for an answer. Why? Because they they have a supernatural motivation, right? They're they're convinced that this is about the sacrifice of Christ being attacked. This is about the true faith being being lost, being uh, withheld from those who uh, who have every right to receive it, and they aren't going to sit back and wait. You know, for for who knows what, for you know, an, an, an invasion from Spain, let's say, or uh, these kind of things. Historically, they they are taking matters into their own hands. The pre the printing, I mean, you and I have talked about this, but that's one of my favorite aspects of uh, the um, the English kind of Catholic period persecution is is the printing operation. The underground printing operations are amazing. I mean, they're really uh, somebody should write a book just about that, but. Uh, <laughs> Or the uh, or the ways in which they communicate secretly with priests who who have already been apprehended. You have invisible ink. I mean, Lord have mercy. There was one that they they wrote messages with the orange juice, you know, on on the paper that could only it would appear by firelight, you know. If and so they would find ways to to smuggle in these little scraps of paper that oh I guess they're just harmless. They're wrappings for a a piece of bread or whatnot. And in fact, there's there's invisible ink, you know, instructions on it. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, there's amazing uh, episodes like that that are, are recounted in this work, too. Yeah, you get the, the priests that are going in disguise, but then uh, they find a breviary on them or a rosary or something. And they kind of, they can't, there's still, I mean, you get the bishops, you talked about uh, John Fisher. Yeah, he's the only one, as you said, that didn't at first. But then there's others that Bowden brings up that did do the supremacy repented of it, found out that they were wrong, and ended up becoming martyrs afterwards. That's right. Uh, I, I'm, um, I think Bishop Bonner, so Edmund Bonner is, is one of those. He, he is not martyred um, per se, but he, he is certainly made to suffer. He's imprisoned after the fact. But, it, but yes, just, just what you say. You have most of the bishops, the vast majority of the bishops uh, in, in what we now call the UK, right, um, the vast majority of them just just go along to get along. They they are prepared to sign oath of supremacy. They're prepared to uh, hand over even the the, um, uh, the the staffing of you know the various parishes and chantries and things 
uh, with the exception of John Fisher at the first. But then under Elizabeth, <clears throat> you have several of them that uh, that that renege. They've now they've now kind of come back. They've they've repented, as you say, um, under many of them under Mary Tudor, who's kind of an intervening. Uh, monarchy there. And by the time that Elizabeth makes it to the throne and she kind of represents the English hierarchy with the oath of supremacy and says, okay, you know, just, just kidding. We really are going to be Protestant now. And I expect you to, to sign the oath, recognize that uh, the Pope is not the head of the church in England. And many of the bishops get a, get a second shot at it and they, they hold true. Um, and they, you know, they end up spending their lives in house arrest or, or actual, um, uh, uh, public houses, prison houses, and Bonner is one of those. So Bonner is kind of an interesting character. So he also wrote a catechism as part of his penance <laughs> when he's when he's restored to his see uh, under Queen Mary. Um, he he writes a, a catechism as as part of his uh, his reparation for his own public scandal in abandoning the faithful. He's now he's now seeking to instruct the faithful and as a corrective against what he calls naughty catechisms. Uh, that had been begun to be printed by the reformers at the time, the so-called reformers. And so, um, so, and his, and his catechism is in uh, volume one of the Tranavox series. Uh, folks can read that right off the, right off the shelf. It's those kind of witnesses for, especially for bishops, um, it is just second to none. I mean, those who are prepared publicly to recognize, look, we, we did the wrong thing. Uh, we repent. We're here to do the right thing. Priests as well. I mean, uh, there's one, um, was it Jennings? I'm trying to remember. Just the other day, this one came to mind. And uh, who, who was a, an Anglican, actually an Anglican minister. Uh, and then he, can, he, he has a change of heart. He doesn't know what to do about it because he's, he's recognized uh, the truth of uh, Catholicism. But he's, he's slated to preach, what, you know, oh gosh, at, at 9 a.m. or or whatever. So he, he shows up that morning and just publicly declares, yeah. you know, this, this is an error. This is not the true faith. You know, I, I can no longer in good conscience uh, stand before you as, as God's minister, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he, he, he's accosted, you know, for this and um, he's, he's close to ending his life. I mean, there's just such this tremendous personal struggle for him. Um, but ultimately he is instructed in the faith He's ordained himself as a Catholic priest. He goes overseas, uh, and he comes back, and and he and then he's martyred. I mean, he, he ends his life as a as a Catholic martyr priest. Powerful. Yeah. You brought up uh, having the like code words. Uh, was it a uh, uh, boast? Is it John boast? Father boast? He's uh, there's a story about uh, the uh, guy going up to him as a penitent, but he's really out. He's he, he's really a Judas. He's going up to him as a penitent, turns him in afterwards, gets communion, turns him in, and that they 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 was it they racked him so much he couldn't uh he couldn't stand straight. He had to use a, po a cane or something to just to move. And then while they were tearing his heart out, he's yelling, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Basically, and forgives him, I think. On there. Yeah, for Jesus, 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 forgive him. It, just again, stories like that. You you don't know who you can trust and who not to trust. You just gotta live it up to God's will, but Man, are we Pete? We in these days, we're worried that we're going to get uh, people call us a bad name on Twitter, or uh, uh, you know, just you know, oh, we have to drive five more minutes down the street. These guys went to the house knowing they could be dead come the end of the mass, or 
even you hear about saints like uh wasn't it John Vianney? His first communion, they had the, they did it in a a stall or something. They had people outside pretending to be raking raking stuff in, so they didn't know there was a mass going on inside that. Mm. Yeah, I haven't heard that, but I I believe it. Well, believe it. I think Garner Jay I think writes about that. Yeah. Uh, There's another great engraving of you know a priest being discovered in the act of you know, offering holy mass in a home, and and here come the. Uh, the soldiers through the door and this yes it, it was it was uh they were contentious times uh and i think the the supernatural motivation i keep coming back to that but you you can't you can't help but see that in so many of these accounts that these these were men and women who understood the cost you know appreciated the cost and it, it wasn't like they were seeking martyrdom you know the, these I think a lot of folks get the wrong idea about martyrs. Like they're they're just uh, people that that God set on fire at some point, and they just they just couldn't get enough. You know, <laughs> like they were they were after the cross. They were after um, a public execution, and they they did not 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 a one of them uh, had the the confidence. You know that they would that they would that they had it within themselves. Let's say that to offer that kind of public testimony. They relied on grace. And they were faithful to their daily duties. They they tried. It's not like they went looking for uh, the the magistrates. You know, they they tried to evade capture. I mean, yes. Uh, and in many cases, uh, controversially so. You know, you have the famous uh, accounts of not a few priests uh, who showing up in in kind of um, somewhat scandalous outfits, right at the at the port. They'd be jewel merchants or uh, yeah or uh, pretend to be married. It's right, right, yeah, with with uh, escorts of you know, yes. certain kinds, you know, and you just say, well, if it was if it was worth that uh, to them, then then we don't then we don't see folks who are uh, who are unreasonable. It's not as though they've they've um, they just have some fixation on becoming martyrs. No, they 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 want to glorify our Lord. They want to serve the faithful, uh, and the faithful are the same way. You know, they're. They're uh, they're incredibly creative for exactly that reason. You know, they they want the thing to go on. Uh, they they want mass to continue. They want to be able to raise their kids in the faith. They want peace, you know, as much as any of us want it. Uh, but they're not prepared to uh, to to apostatize for it. They're they're not prepared to do less than what what they view as their duty in public defense of of the faith, as much as they are called upon to do. So. It's it is a very uh, striking, I think, testimony in that way, and and Bowden for that same reason. I'm just going to read this because otherwise I'll I'll botch it if I'm trying to paraphrase. But we put this in because Father Bowden um, he he had this constant kind of awareness in his own works. There's there's a of course Father Bowden himself wrote many things. Um, many of them are are spiritual kind of treatises, you know, on the interior life and things. And uh, and we we pulled this extract from one of his other works and put it in uh, to the preface of this new edition of uh, his mementos on the English martyrs, because this lesson, we, I think we find this in all of his priesthood, but then we find it echoed in this testimony of the martyrs. So if you forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'll read that track. <clears throat> we seek union with God in whatever is your special work and rule of life, taking it all as done for him, remembering that the only one thing to live for is the doing of his will. Life really only consists of this. 
every human being on this earth must settle for himself the details of his own particular life, the duty of every day, and be responsible to God for it. But whatever our own particular work is, it is always the discipline for our soul. So if after all your efforts, however hard, you have to give up, if schemes fail, if it all comes to nothing, then it must be for you fiat as he wills. But it has been, no matter how unsuccessful, your way of coming nearer to him. This is the only thing that matters. I mean, he, he is what we, what we could call you know, a, a theologian of the, the fiat, a theologian of the surrender to God's will in our own daily duties. And that is exactly how the English martyrs understood themselves. They said, this is just, this is Christian life. This is business as usual. They weren't, they weren't out looking to become, you know, these, these public, publicly killed people or, or desiring, you know, the deprivation of all of their earthly goods you know, <laughs> through, through financial penalties, through social penalties. They were just about the doing of daily Christian life. That was what formed them, what prepared them for uh, the grace to suffer in those ways. Yeah, because even at the trials, I think uh, it was a Mary Margaret Clitheroe was basically going, "You guys got nothing on me. I mean, what what have I done? You done nothing." And uh, they were they would defend themselves. They wouldn't just lay lay down and say, "You know, all right, rip me up." Uh, they they at least put up a fight in a sense. Or you uh, and in the book, not just the stories about them, but you have priests writing to like uh, Father William Hart, uh, writing to Catholic prisoners, giving them courage, and also telling them. Like you said, pray for me so I can get through this. So there's a lot of letters back and forth from uh, priests to others in here. Even uh, is is Cardinal Pole's mom in here? I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of encouragement back and forth. So it's not just saint stories, but their letters and poems. Uh, it's it's a beautiful book. Yes, you mentioned poems, and yes, Pole is is in here. Um, that is that is the other dimension that we did add for this edition was we we put in an appendix of uh, poetry from uh, from the English martyrs so so directly written by uh, some of these martyrs and confessors of course Southwell many if if people have heard of any, any um, uh, English martyr poets it's usually Robert Southwell the Burning Babe uh, is, is quite famous um, but I Die Alive is also uh, somewhat well known that's in here. Um, Philip Howard. So we have we have uh, just kind of some select poetry from the English martyrs, all of which echoes that same that same kind of character of just clearly these were men uh, and women who who love our Lord. That's the chief and dominant concern in their life. You know, is is they want to be pleasing to God in Christ. They they want to be pleasing to the Lord, and they're only acting. Uh, publicly and many times uh, and, and on the gallows and anywhere else, all of those actions just flow from that first concern of, of being pleasing to God in Christ. And so you can see this kind of delight in, in nature, you know, this, this, uh, these things that come across in their poetry. Um, so I am, let's see if I can find uh, I die alive. We could, we could read that. It's a brief one. Any other Robert yeah. South? Oh. Uh, We'll do that one. So I die alive, St. Robert Southwell, another great, uh, great priest and martyr. Says, O life, what lets thee from a quick decease? O death, what draws thee from a present prey? My feast is done. My soul would be at ease. My grace is said. O death, come take away. So this is, you know, showing his disposition. He's, he's prepared for death. 
<clears throat> and then this is uh, this stands as powerful. I live, but such a life as ever dies. I die, but such a death as never ends. My death to end my dying, life denies, and life my living death no whit amends. So it's, it's you have to kind of take time to unpack that one. But he's this this entire poem. I won't read the the uh, the rest of it. Save that for. Uh, your own reading time but that's it's saint paul this what we what you find is that this this actual text is really a commentary on paul's uh paul's you know uh somewhat somewhat um bothered let's say exclamation in in his letters about uh this life that goes on he's he's torn between you know wanting to die to go be united to christ in heaven and yet wanting to remain to uh to help the churches right uh southwell has this this same uh, kind of kind of grappling that he he desires death only insofar as it's a way to be united to our Lord uh, and yet you know he goes on living so he's he experiences this life as well these are these are ways that our Lord is actually exacting from me he's he's calling upon me to make this offering of my life in in actually living it out that's that's part of the work that's part of the of the mystery that he's called to live so it is. It's just all of all of their poetry and their firsthand writings. I find especially moving. Yeah. Again, it's hit the right button. Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors for Every Day of the Year by Henry Sebastian Bowden. Link will be underneath in the show notes. Uh, get it. It's a fan. You can read it. Obviously, you can read it every year, and it's literally one page a day. Or maybe a paragraph. Like I don't know. What would you say? Three inches. It takes. Yeah, three hundred words. Look, yeah, look at the videos. I think forty-five seconds, and that's with an intro. <laughs> sure. Yes, no, they're very, they're very concise. They're very bite-sized, uh, which, which we all appreciate. Um, and I think again, Bowden has a great gift for, uh, in that conciseness, just a ton, packing a ton in to those those little yes. page-long uh, excerpts. It's it's enough to, to very much, I think, meditate on throughout the day, especially given the the added kind of scripture verses at the, at the end of each is kind of a way to pull that, that, that um, meditation into the entirety of your day, which, so it's, yes. It's You're right. There's no waste of time. There's not, none that I went through going, wow, that was a waste of my minute. Uh, you'll, you'll get something out of each, each one. That's right. Aaron, appreciate you, man. And uh, good job pulling that out. I mean, and again, this was a surprise. We were talking about doing, Another one uh, on the Canisius later, but and he goes, "Hey, check out this. You'll you'll appreciate this book." And sent me the link. Oh, do you even know you guys were pulling that off? So very cool that uh, Sophia did that. And uh, uh, yeah, get it. Get one for your friends. Get one for your seminary. Maybe I don't know. Most was it? What's uh? I forget his name. He does all the uh, uh, English uh, documentaries and Tolkien series. Uh, uh, oh, Pierce, Joseph Pierce. Joseph, yeah, he had a great line once of, man, the English martyrs, if they were Italian, they'd have a feast for every day. One would have each, each, of, each of them would have their own feast day, but the English, they get lumped into one day. It is. It's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. This is, so this way we get to drag it out into a full year. That's basically yep. the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, appreciate your time, man. Thanks, Steve. God bless.